Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 40 of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I am so happy that you are joining me here today. Well, I have to tell you, one of our favorite things here at the Homeschool Snapshots podcast is listener requests. We love to get those because we want the show to be about who you would like to hear from. So if there is a specific person you would like for us to interview on the show, or maybe a topic you would like for us to talk about and you want us to find the person do please let us know. And you can do that by shooting us an email at info at pambarnhill.com and we'll collect up all of those requests there and do our best to meet those for you. And I'm telling you this because today's show is exactly that. We had a listener request that we talked to a homeschool mom who homeschools overseas from the United States because that's where we're located. We found Sue Umezaki, who is a mom and one-time blogger. She doesn't blog quite so much anymore now that her kids have gotten older. But Sue lives in Japan. She's married to a Japanese national, and she has homeschooled her kids in Japan since the very beginning. And she's just graduated her first, a daughter who is now going to college in the state. So we were so excited to get to talk to Sue all about what it's like to homeschool in another culture. I think you're really going to enjoy the show today. And we'll get on with it right after this word from our sponsor. Still working on your Christmas shopping? Give the children on your list a gift they will learn from and love with Maestro Classics Stories and Music. Maestro Classic CDs with activity books provide the highest quality classical music curriculum available today, featuring the world-famous London Philharmonic Orchestra. With engaging storytellers, children of all ages are sure to enjoy these beautiful recordings. A huge selection of titles are on sale today, including one of the Barnhill family favorites, Peter and the Wolf. I remember playing this for my children over and over again as they acted out the story and portrayed the animals as each instrument played. They had such a good time with that particular selection. Some other of the great titles on sale right now include The Nutcracker, The Soldier's Tale, and My Name is Handel, The Story of Water Music. Act now and receive free shipping with guaranteed delivery by Christmas. And as a Homeschool Snapshots listener, you'll save an exclusive 17% off the sale price with the coupon code PAM. Visit www.maestroclassics.com. That's maestro, spelled M-A-E-S-T-R-O, classics.com. And give the gift of music this Christmas season. In 1994, Sue Umezaki left her home to go to Japan, intending to stay for just one year. Little did she know that 22 years later, she would still be there. Sue is a mother of four, including a brand new college freshman, and she has been homeschooling in a literature-rich, Charlotte Mason-influenced style ever since her oldest was a first grader. She is joining us today from the other side of the globe to share about her unique story. Sue, welcome to the program. Hi, Pam. Thank you. It's great to be here. 
Well, start off by telling me a little bit about your family. Okay. Well, um, as you said, my oldest is in college. She just started her freshman year. And I also have a 17-year-old son who just began his senior year and a 13-year-old son who has special needs and is just going along at his own pace. And my youngest is nine and he just started fourth grade. And my husband is a school teacher, ironically, at a private Christian school. And we make our home just outside of, of Tokyo in Saitama Prefecture here in Japan. Okay, well, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper because your story is a little more interesting than, than what the surface indicates. So how did you end up living in Japan for 22 years? Well, I, was, I began uh, having interest in Japan in high school. And I, you know, I knew I wanted to study you know, some kind of exotic language. And I chose Japanese from this chance meeting with a Japanese man in an airport. It's a kind of a long story. Not my husband, not my future husband, a different man. And I, I uh, helped him out because he didn't know where he was going. And I found someone who could speak Japanese for him. And it, that person was this tall, blonde guy. And I was so amazed. And I thought, wow, if he can do that, then I can do that. So, so I decided to study Japanese. And um, I studied in college and I became the president of the Orient Club, which is sort of a non-PC kind of name these days, but that's what it was called back then. And I made lots of Japanese friends. And one of them had, uh, her mother has a very large English school here in Tokyo. And they asked me to go come here for the summer and live with them and, you know, be assistant teacher at their school. So that was the first time I ever came the summer between my freshman and sophomore year in college. And then I did that one more time the next summer. And I just really fell in love with Japan. And I knew that I wanted to live here, you know, at least for a few years and really brush up on my Japanese and all of that. So I was going to get my degree to teach ESL. I took the GRE and I was all set to go when I got a call from a Japanese friend who was working at a Japanese school in Atlanta, just near my college campus, and said that they needed someone to work there. Uh, they needed a position, they had a position to fill. So uh, she asked if I wanted to interview and I thought, well, you know, I'll just go see about it. I wasn't really that interested, honestly. And I went and they immediately offered me the job. And I just felt like, well, you know, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do first. So I started working there and that's where I met my future husband. So obviously I feel like God's plan was at work there. And I started work there, but my Japanese was, was still very limited. So they asked me to, after a year of working there, they asked me to come here to the main school. It's a whole school system, a university all the way down to kindergarten to work at the university in this program they had for um, studying Japanese nine hours a week. And the rest of the time I would be teaching English. So I jumped at that chance and I came over. I lived with a wonderful host family who couldn't speak a lick of English, which really helped my Japanese. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so while I was studying, I was living with them and thankfully they had three kids were very talkative and that really helped my Japanese. And they're still our dear friends. Now they live five minutes from us. So very long time friends. Then at the end of that year, I was you know, planning to go back to my, you know, my job in Atlanta. But here on the school side here, they were desperate to keep me here because they had hired several English teachers that didn't work out. And they, they said, you know, if you leave or we'll really be in trouble and please stay at least for another year. So um, I told them, you know, as long as the school in Atlanta says, OK, I'll stay. And so I decided to stay first the second year. And then soon after that, my future husband, who you know, we had become good friends at the school in Atlanta, he came back, he was sent back to Japan. And 
we began spending a lot of time together just as friends. But before I knew it, we were engaged and <laughs> planning our wedding. And we just ended up staying here. We thought that we would go back and you know, maybe work in school in Atlanta again. And just, you know, life happens. You know, his mother got sick and just different things happened. And we began homeschooling and, you know, the first kid and then the second came quickly and just, you know, we ended up making our life here. And <laughs> it's been very wonderful in many ways. You know, we, I miss my family and friends in the States, but that's how we ended up settling here, even though I never expected I would still be here 22 years later. Well, tell me how you got started with the homeschooling. Yes. Well, I heard about homeschooling when I was in college. I was listening to Christian radio in the car one day and Focus on the Family came on and Dr. James Dobson was interviewing some homeschoolers. And I thought, wow, that sounds really cool. I would love to do that someday with my own kids. And that just was kind of there, I, you know, in my mind, I guess, and never really thought about it too much after that. And then after we got married, we were living in a tiny little apartment in Tokyo and we knew we wanted to start a family. So we were you know, looking to move out a little bit into the suburbs and looking around. So my husband said, you know, let's go look in the area around the uh, Christian you know, international school in case we ever wanted to put our kids there. <laughs> our friends were laughing at us. You're not even pregnant yet. You're thinking about your kid's future school. But we started looking around there. And I remember that day clearly we're walking around the campus of that school and talking about school. And, you know, my husband being a teacher, you know, part of him really wanted our kids to go to his school, wear their little sailor, cute sailor, Japanese uniform and all of that. And we talked about all of that. And I tend, you know, just brought up homeschooling as thinking he probably would think it was a silly idea. And I was right. He said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and um, so I just kind of filed that away in my heart thinking, well, you know, if it's God's will, once kids come along, then it'll happen. I wasn't too worried about it. And I kind of had, you know, a lot of doubts about how that would work in Japan anyway. But then when we had children and my uh, daughter was in Japanese kindergarten, a really sweet little kindergarten attached to a, a small church it was a really great little place. They were talking about starting a church school, like a very small church school there. And we were really interested in that. And they had some connection with a Japanese support group called Chia Japan. And it, I think what it was is a Japanese homeschooling father who was in California kind of brought that to Japan. I think Chia is California Home Educators Association. So they just kept that name and tacked Japan onto the end of it. And um, they were having uh, talks and seminars and things like that. And so we went to one of the talks and heard, you know, testimonies from homeschoolers from the States and you know, homeschooler people in Japan who were doing it. I mean, there were very few families doing it in Japan at the time, especially Japanese families. And I, as I listened, kept thinking, I don't think I can do this. This is, I can't do this in Japan. There's not enough support. And then when we left the seminar, my husband said, this is it. We're doing this. <laughs> 180 degree turnaround for my husband and me feeling really weak in the knees. <laughs> So he was sold so, and you were like freaking out. Right. <laughs> exactly. So he said, well, let's keep talking about it and pray about it. And we started talking to friends, your church friends about it. Families that are like us, you know, one American parent and also one other Japanese family. There were three other families besides us that were very close to at that time. Our kids were the same age. And we started talking about it and all of them were getting really interested in it. And 
we I mean, met several times to pray about it and talk about it. And the other, one of the other Japanese dads was also a school teacher, a public school teacher. And he was really interested too. And we just couldn't believe it. And, but in the end, all of them ended up choosing something else. The Japanese family ended up moving to Spain for three years for him to teach in a Japanese school there. And then the other two families, one chose a you know, Japanese Christian school and the other one ended up putting their kids in public school. So there we were all by ourselves, all psyched up about homeschooling, but kind of all alone. And we thought, well, what do we do? So we signed our daughter up for this new little church school that was happening. They said that she could, we could do it part-time. We didn't have to send her full-time. And she even went to the little entrance ceremony. Japanese schools are really big on ceremonies. <laughs> and I just did not feel at peace about it. I just thought, I really felt like God was telling me, trust me. You know, this is kind of like my backup plan. Like I was, you know, attaching a net or something. <laughs> like I just couldn't take the leap without some sort of net there. And I just didn't feel at peace. And I talked to my husband about it and he said, you know what? I don't either. And so we ended up opting out of that and starting to homeschool all on our own from the begin at the beginning. It was just us. We didn't know anyone else locally at all that was homeschooling. And what, what year was this? Because I can't do the math that quickly. <laughs> See, my daughter was starting first grade. So what would that be? 19, uh, 2000. See, my third son was born. 2003. Okay. So this was still in the kind of the infancy of the internet and, you yes. know, finding online support and things of that nature as well. Yes. Yes. At the beginning, there was, I mean, as far as I knew, pretty much nothing. I mean, I ordered, you know, books to read and things. I think they're... I think um, the first thing that I found on on the internet, I started out, which we still use today, um, with Sunlight Curriculum, because I love their literature base, you know, winding literature and history together. That really appealed to me, and they have very you know, more of a global, sort of a global view, and um, not just super America centric, which is something that appealed to me. You know, we get the American history and all that, but it's not only about that, and it's very we said a lot of different cultures and things. So they had a online discussion board and that you know this was before I ever heard of blogs or anything and so I did participate in that quite a bit at the beginning and that helped a lot right right yeah but you were you were definitely blazing your own path there and we're going to talk a little bit more about what it's like to homeschool in Japan but first I want to ask you my favorite question your homeschool day is most like which literary classic would it be a cheaper by the dozen b much ado about nothing C, Around the World in 80 Days, or D, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Oh, my goodness. I would have to say Around the World in 80 Days for sure. <laughs> That's so appropriate for you guys. <laughs> it is. It is, you know, considering our living situation, but also just with my range of children. You know, I only have three left at home, but they're all in such completely different places. It's like <laughs> I'm floating between different worlds all day long. <laughs> for sure. Well, if it's 2 a.m. and you're lying in bed awake, what is it that's keeping you up? Oh, college, college, college. I mean, for the past couple years, <laughs> you know, I've just gotten through my first college application process. And boy, I tell you what, if anything gets you on your knees, it's <laughs> now, do you, I thought it were hard. But do you think the second one's going to be as hard as the first one was? Or do you, now that you're on the other side of it, do you feel a little more confident? Oh, I feel way more confident. And I mean, I was thinking about talking about this with the, another question that was on the list of possible questions, but 
I just want to plug something that helped me so, so much for anyone. I mean, for anyone, I think even in the States, but anyone, especially who is in a very, you know, maybe overseas, not you know, doing homeschooling where you're not accredited or all of that kind of thing, you know, unschooling, that sort of thing. The Home Scholar yes. is a website, Lee Bins, and yes. her book, which I should have had next to me, I can't remember the title of it, but it's about college transcripts, you know, making college tra- transcripts and all that whole process. But her website as well, you can pay to become a member. It's totally worth it. You don't have to, you know, you can end the membership when you're finished, you know, getting the information you need or whatever. But I did have a telephone session with her and it was just so comforting to see it all laid out in front of me. Okay, this is you know, step by step how to make the transcript. And I mean, not even step by step, more so the fact that there is a lot of freedom in it. It's not like in America, there is one form of transcript that everyone has to know how to do. There's quite a bit of freedom in it. There are different options of how to do it. And she lays that all out in a very easy to understand way. So anyone who is really nervous about the whole high school, I mean, I would recommend starting to look at her materials at the, you know, when your child is getting ready to enter high school, just to make sure you have everything all lined up. But she is very, very helpful. Even if you just get her book, it's immensely helpful. I really recommend that. Yeah, but, I have, I've heard awesome things about Lee, and we will link to all of that in the show notes for this episode. We've been trying to get her on the show. So Lee, this is your invitation. Come on the show. But yes, so was it as bad as you thought it would be? Or did you kind of build it up in your head and make it worse than it really needed to be? Yes, definitely. I, you know, freaked out about it way more than I really needed to probably, but it does take a lot of work. And I, I have to admit, I am not a good record keeper. I know that a lot of homeschool moms are way better at that than I am. And thankfully I do have a very good memory. So that helped a lot, (laughs) but I have, you know, when we're being overseas, we're not accountable to anyone. We're not accountable to any state. We're not accountable to the Japanese government. We are complete free floaters, which has been incredibly wonderful most of the time. But it also allowed me to not worry about keeping any records of any kind. So that was part of the pain for me. It was going back and rethinking all of that and going over things. I had had very basic records, but not anything of great detail. So if you have any sort of basic record keeping, that will help a lot. You know, knowing all the classes that your child did during high school, and outside activities, that's very important to keep track of all that, you know, when they did it, for how long, what they did. And so trying to gather all that information, just writing course descriptions, which some people say is, you know, they're not necessary, but I felt like because we're not accredited, we didn't use an accredited program or anything, and we're overseas, I just wanted to have as much information available to the colleges as possible. So I did uh, write pretty detailed course descriptions. So that was quite painful (laughs) while I was doing it, but I will be able to use a lot of that, you know, this year for my son, because they've done a lot of the same things. So it will not be nearly as hard the second time around, definitely. Well, you've kind of started hinted at something I did want to talk about. So in Japan, let's talk a little bit about the homeschooling, not only the climate there, but also the regulations. And basically you're saying there are none. So does the Japanese government even like know you have these kids in your home? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they do. We go to the city office and report to the Ministry of Education when, you know, each time our child became first grade age, 
so that we could opt out of public education. And it's basically the same process that we would have done if we sent our kids to international school. In Japan, international school is not considered, it doesn't qualify for compulsory education, basically, because it's not regulated by the Japanese government. So because it was easy for us because our children are dual citizens, and they just basically wrote down that we're educating in English on our, our paperwork, and that was it. They didn't want to see my curriculum. They didn't want to hear about it. I mean, the, the poor guy, I took my huge sunlight instructor's guide and, and put it on the counter, and he visibly took several steps backwards, <laughs> put his hands up in front of him. No, 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 I don't want to see that. It's all English. Don't show me that. So that's all we have had to do. I will say that I have known families who've had trouble. It can really depend on where you live, the city. Some of the, the offices of Ministry of Education are very, well, in general, they're very concerned about children, Japanese children who do not go to school. There is a huge truancy problem here. Children who, as they say in Japanese, can't, quote unquote, go to school like they, they feel ill at the thought of going to school or they just flat out refuse to go to school. It's quite a big problem here. It's not talked about very openly. Is that because of the pressure there to perform academically? Yes, I think, you know, there's the bullying issue, but there's also, yes, that pressure. Some of the kids, I can't, they just can't deal with the pressure. I mean, I'm sure there are a variety of reasons, but I think those are the two big ones, the academic pressure and the social pressures, the bullying, that sort of thing. So depending on where you live, which city you fall under, you could have an easier or a harder time of it if your kids are Japanese. Yes. And so I've known families who have actually moved because they were being harassed. People from the city office would come to their home and yell at them and tell them to send their kids to school. But I have not heard of that happening for quite some years. That was probably 10 years ago that I knew a couple of families that were really struggling with that. And one of them actually moved. And sometimes if your child is already in school and you take them out, depending on the city, they might give you a bit of trouble. But for us, since we that school was never, you know, our local school was never responsible for our children from the beginning. So it's as if we don't exist. (laughs) So some of our friends, especially Japanese friends, do check in with the school and get their textbooks from the school. But since we don't use regular Japanese textbooks, we just didn't even bother. We're just not even on the radar. So... For us, that's been a good choice. What about the culture in Japan? So if you go out with your kids during the day at a time that they would be, you know, expected to be in school and you're on a field trip or you run to the store or something like that, what's the reception that you receive from the general public? Well, now pretty much nothing. (laughs) We stand out a lot in our neighborhood. People know who we are and they generally know that our kids don't go to school at this point. So very rarely does anyone look at us askance or ask us anything at this point. When we first started, you know, a lot of the nice aunties and, and grandmas in the neighborhood were very concerned and, you know, would kind of check up on us. Are your kids still not going to school? And they'd be very, they were very worried. Japanese people, you know, the culture is not a confrontational culture. So people tend to you know, they might show some concern on their face, but they're not going to say, are you crazy or anything like that? But yeah, we could definitely tell that people thought we were pretty crazy. A lot of people, when I tell them that we're educating in English, that sort of makes them feel like, oh, okay, well, they're just doing, you know, making a different educational choice. And then it doesn't seem quite so strange, I think. So over the years, I've gotten pretty good at 
sort of, I have a little blurb, you know, when people ask about where our kids go to school, I start out saying, oh, well, they don't go to Japanese school and hope that they'll just sort of leave it at that. But most people will say, oh, they go to international school. So then I have to explain a little bit more and I just tell them, well, we are, we do have a support group at the international school, but they do most of their, their studies at home with me. And most people will pretty much leave it at that. If they're really interested, they might ask. But the vast majority of people have never even heard of homeschooling. It's totally a totally new concept to them. There are, you know, a rare few people who've heard of it. But yeah, so we're you, definitely so, cultural. <laughs> do you get the socialization question? Yeah, yeah. They'll ask, you know, well, how do they do they play with other children or I don't think they phrase it in that sort of in that way. I know that one of my husband's sisters was very concerned about that. And she would would say, especially interestingly, our boys, you boys need to be with other boys and wrestle and roughhouse. They can't just be at home with mom. She was very concerned about that. But, you know, as the years pass by, people just they stop asking. (laughs) So we don't have that problem anymore. So now you have your support group at the international school. So it's pretty easy for you to find like-minded families these days to network with. It is. I mean, it's not easy in any stretch of the imagination in comparison with America. I mean, it's not like I can just go to the co-op and there's, you know, hundreds of other homeschooling families. There is a a large handful, let's say, <laughs> of homeschooling families. This support group, it was really started for missionary families or other Christian workers who live far away from, too far away from the school to send their children there. But the woman who runs it, who is now a very dear friend of ours, really has a heart for homeschool or you know, people who homeschool because they believe in homeschooling as well, not just people who, who live too far away to send their kids to the international school. And as they've just come up with many different programs for us. We have something at least once a month, if not twice. They do several times a year to special classes for us homeschoolers. We're going to have one next week of all about poetry. So we're really looking forward to that. Sometimes it's a science class, you know, computers, different things like that. But we also have other activities like a sports day and a spelling bee and things like that too. So it's very helpful. And then what about Japanese families who are homeschooling? Do you have an opportunity to hang out with any of them? I do. I didn't uh, very much at all at the beginning, other than at the, you know, I mentioned the Chia Japan. If we went to those conventions, we would meet some. And But there weren't any in our area that I that I knew of. But Two or three years ago, I just suddenly one day got this postcard in the in my mailbox written in beautiful English. And it said, I've just moved back to the area. We're living with our parents now, but trying to find a different place to live. But we, I was homeschooling my children. My parents are very against it. So I've had to put them in the local school now. But when we move, we want to start again. And I heard about you. I would love to meet you. <laughs> and I was just so shocked. And you know, the name sign was a Japanese name. Wow, this is incredible. So I got in touch with her and she has four children younger than mine. Her youngest is two and her oldest is 13, I think. And she and her husband both got their college degrees in the States. So they're both fluent in English, but they homeschool in Japanese and just the sweetest family. And they live a two minute walk from my front door. I mean, I never could have imagined Never in my wildest dreams would have imagined. I've prayed for years to meet some any kind of homeschooling family nearby. And here's this family. My my sons can go over and say, hey, let's play anytime. And that is just it feels like a miracle to me. It's just amazing. 
that's awesome. But we did not have that for many, many years. But through her, I've met some other families, fairly local as well. And they have started to join in with our, the uh, support group that we have at the international school has activities at the school, but we also have a group, an offshoot of that organized just by us moms, where we get together just the homeschoolers and go on field trips together. So we do that once a month. And so some of these Japanese families have started to join that. And so that's really been neat and interesting to see how the kids play together. And you know, because some of the families, they homeschool only in English, their kids don't speak Japanese all that well. And most of the Japanese families, their kids, they speak and understand some English, but not really well. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic, but it's been going very well. And I'm very happy with it. It's a great opportunity for everyone to get to practice the yes, other language. It yes, it is. Well, what special opportunities for learning do you and your kids have because of your geographic location? Oh, my goodness. I mean, other than, you know, having two languages, which is just an amazing opportunity to be able to think in two languages. It's such a, you know, you can't really know a culture without speaking the language. So that's probably the biggest thing for me. But just from where we live, we live just outside of Tokyo. And it's you know one of the biggest, if not the biggest cities, most populous city in the world. And there are so many things. I mean, just amazing museums, zoos, you know, science museums, cultural activities and centers. I mean, it's just, you know, so many things at our fingertips there. I mean, just a 30-minute train right away, there are several different art museums, National Historical Museum, uh, the Museum of Science and Nature. So we use those awful lot, especially with my daughter being so into art. We have been to so many art exhibits, not just the art that's there at the museum, but they have every year, you know, two or three, each museum has two or three different exhibits coming from Europe or different places. And so that is the is a huge benefit of where we live. Aquariums. I mean, nobody does aquariums quite like Japan. <laughs> so my kids, a lot of my kids have been very interested in, you know, ocean life and that sort of thing. So that's been a huge part of our homeschooling. You know, just the nature, Japanese nature was just getting out a little bit from where we live. There's just rivers and mountains and nature galore. And then you have, you know, the Japanese culture, you know, which is around us all the time. So we study that, you know, the Shinto shrines and the Buddhist temples and those kind of things around us, just that different for us as Christians, a very different culture. So, and, you know, we have family members who are Buddhists. So we have opportunity to sort of learn about that and how it's different from our own faith and, and that sort of thing. And then, you know, Japanese history in general is so rich, which is why I fell in love with Japanese culture in general through history, because I'm a history buff, but you know, being able to see the atomic bomb museum and see that history up close, you know, what happened and the Christian history in Japan is amazing and rich. And uh, my husband comes from the south, most south of the four main islands of Japan called Kyushu, which is where Nagasaki is located. So to be able to see that history up close and meet people at our church who lived through all of that and I mean, just so many things. I, yeah, it's you know, fascinating. Festivals, festivals, cultural things, just all around us. It's, it's pretty amazing. Well, what about the language difference? How has that impacted your homeschool? Is it difficult to assess, to access library books or other resources in English? It would have been if it weren't for the, the international school, the Christian school, because we pay a yearly fee to be members of that support, and then we get access to their library. So. That has been just an invaluable resource. But the uh, delivery man who delivers my Amazon boxes knows me very well. <laughs> so 
that is the huge, you know, I have a huge home library as well. But yeah, having that library has been incredible, especially when the kids were small. You know, the teachers there would ask me, how did you get your kids to love books so much? (laughs) And I said, you know, well, we read all the time, but, you know, having a trip to the International School Library as sort of like a big treat in their minds was very um, impactful for them. And books were always a treat for them. So that was that has been a huge part of our homeschooling. But yeah, language that that is a challenge. And if I lived in an area where that was not so close and available, that would have been a lot harder for sure. So people who are living overseas and don't have access to an English library, it would be more challenging. And they'd probably be ordering even more from Amazon than I do. (laughs) It's nice to know that the Amazon box and the relationship with the delivery man is universal, no matter where you live on the globe. (laughs) It It surely is. (laughs) Well, what are some of the biggest differences that you notice between the U.S. and Japan in everyday life? And are there some unique challenges that you face as a homeschooler because of those differences? Yeah, biggest difference, I would say, is safety. It's very safe here. And so I think compared with the modern child, your children who are the ages of my children in the States, my children have had a lot of freedom to play outside, unattended, that sort of thing. My nine-year-old, you know, every other day probably rides his bicycle to the grocery store for me to pick up milk or something, which is something that would never happen in most areas of the United States. That is pretty a pretty big one. And that was, you know, my kids being able to just go out and play freely because we do not have our own yard to play in. So that's another big difference. You know, there's not that sort of big fenced in yard where you can, you know, release your kids at different times of the day. So the good side, the perk is that it's safe enough for them to go out together and play without me having to be there all the time. The negative is we don't have that big yard for them to go out into in a sort of to be out, but sort of in our own private space. So when they were younger, I did not just sort of release them into the neighborhood at all hours of the day, because even though we weren't doing anything illegal. It wasn't like I thought the police were going to come knocking. You still, it's a little bit, you think about, you know, what are the neighbors going to think if my second grader is outside at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning or at one o'clock while the other kids are still at school. So we generally, I generally tried to keep them inside until we saw the first school kids trickling home. They all walked to school so we could see them coming home. And then I would release them into the neighborhood. Let's see. What about space? You mentioned your tiny apartment before you guys even had kids. So I've watched House Hunters International and I've seen the tiny apartments. So what about the amount of space? You mentioned all your books too. Yeah, well, our, our flat, our condominium, we, it's, you know, in a, it's a condominium, but we own it. It's 880 square feet, which is probably pretty unimaginable for a lot of Americans. Having six people, well, now five that my daughter's gone, but for many years, six people, one corgi and one rabbit. And this amount of space is very tight. But I tell you what, I have been, I mean, I just, I have learned how to be minimalistic. So number one on the list of things that are acceptable to have around our house are books, but pretty much everything else is is pretty sparse. (laughs) I mean, I was doing Komari before that was ever a thing, (laughs) for sure. And, um, but the space is a challenge. It is a challenge, but you know, we, as the kids came, we bought this place before we had any children. And when we moved in, it felt huge compared to our one room Tokyo apartment. But 
you know, we just, as the kids came every time we think, wow, it's just going to be so crowded. We better think about moving. And, but we just really love our neighborhood. Our neighbors are incredibly understanding. Our downstairs neighbors, we live on the third floor. The neighbors under us are a couple that got married when they were older. They have no children. But never once have they complained about any noise or anything. They're the sweetest. They've had us over for dinner. I mean, we have the best, most relaxed, wonderful neighbors. And I have heard horror stories. I have had friends, not even homeschoolers, who've had to move out of their apartment, sell it and move somewhere else because their downstairs neighbors complain so much about, you know, two children, much less four, <laughs> my four. So we just felt like, you know, who knows if we move somewhere to get a bigger place, we might have neighbors that, you know, are really difficult or something. So we ended up staying put and making do and learning how to be minimalistic. And I think that's been good in many ways. I think my kids are not really attached to things at all. And um, I was amazed when I took my daughter to college. She managed to fit everything, all of her possessions, including all the books that she wanted to take into suitcases. And her roommates each had at least four or five suitcases. So I think that's a good thing, actually. It's a challenge, but it's also, in the end, it's a good thing. Yeah, the dorm room's not going to be a big shock for her. No, not at all. <laughs> well, what are, what are some of your best tips for families who are trying to homeschool in a smaller living space? I think, you know, I am not the best organized person ever, but I think the main thing is you just have to have, not have attachment to having a lot of things. You know, I think, especially in America, I look at my family's homes that are beautiful. They look like showrooms practically, but we have very few things that are decorative, you know, other than maybe on the wall or things that don't take space. You know, we have holy reminders, that sort of thing, but you have to hold loosely to things, decide what's important. Hopefully, have a husband that's great at building bookshelves that fit exactly in the space that you have. Like I, do. <laughs> I mean, that's really it. I mean, if you're, if you're a great organizer, you'll have less trouble. I mean, you, you really do have to have a place for everything. You have a limited space, but you have to really, it forces you to decide, you know, what things are really important and what things can you let go of. That's for sure. Yeah. Kind of helps making those educational choices a little easier because you just don't have room for it. That's right. You know, I, after visiting my, my best friend in the States, homeschooled her six children. And, um, you know, looking at all the space, it's easy to feel a bit envious. But I was also just amazed. You know, she has one room for homeschooling with a big table and lots of shelves and all kinds of, you know, craft items. And, and then a whole other room with it's just sort of their library with just lined with bookshelves and and all this space and space for things. And then the basement, there are more shelves with more homeschooling <laughs> curriculum on there. And, and that's great. But, you know, I have bookshelves with tons of books, but I have one cabinet for homeschooling items. Our, you know, all of our science equipment, crafting things, one cabinet. <laughs> and it's okay. You know, it works. And I just have to get rid of all the things that we don't really use. And it fits. It really does. Well, Sue, are you ready for a pop quiz? Oh, no. Okay, I think so. Okay, here we go. Pen or pencil? Pen. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Dishes or laundry? Oh, dishes any day. <laughs> Poem or short story? Short story. High tech or low tech? Oh, I guess low tech. Dystopia or fairy tale? Fairy tale. Talker or listener? Probably you can tell. Talker. <laughs> Preschool or high school? 
Oh, high school. Do you like to be on the go or stay at home? Mostly stay at home. Sue, where can people find you online? I have a blog. It's called Living and Learning. I am no longer writing on the blog, but all of my old posts are still there. If people would like to take a look at a lot of pictures of our life in Japan, they are welcome to check it out. Great. We will link to that blog in the show notes for this episode. Well, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you so much, Pam. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And there you have it. Episode 40 of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. Now, if you would like links to any of the books or resources that Sue and I talked about today, you can find them on the show notes for this episode. And those are at pambarnhill.com forward slash HSP40. So thank you very much for joining us here today on the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. And don't forget for your last minute Christmas shopping, you can find those great audio music story CDs and classical music at maestroclassics.com. Be sure to use the coupon code PAM to get 17% off of your order. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another great homeschool interview. Until then, keep on homeschooling.